Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries, and our must-read daily newsletter. This week, our Highways Voice has some sobering thoughts about cybersecurity. They had been uh, taken from that recycling facility to uh, another hostile country, uh, refurbished, had chips put in them, repackaged, and then sold on the internet to a supplier who bought them for pennies on the dollar. This is an issue that starts with the CEO and goes all the way to the receptionist. And any organization that thinks that this is the person who is running the IT shops issue, they are woefully wrong. Transport isn't immune from the dangers and the effects could be catastrophic. So what should we do about it? Secure some more cyber knowledge in the next half hour on Highways Voices from highwaysnews.com. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Hello, this is Paul Hutton and our guest leading American consultant Scott Belcher will be on soon. First, as always, let's catch up with co-owner of Highways News, Adrian Tatum, for a look at the big stories this week in the industry. What's caught your eye this week, Adrian? So news this week includes data from Scotland's National Cycling Organisation, Cycling Scotland, who uh, suggests that cycling in Scotland increased 47% last year during the pandemic. Proof there that Transport Scotland's investment in cycling, temporary cycleways, permanent cycleways and cycle infrastructure has paid off. Big question now is, how do we keep it that way? Do we want to keep it that way? And I guess the answer is yes, we still want to increase cycling, walking in that last kind of one to three mile journey that everyone talks about using cars at the moment for that because it's easier, more convenient. But how do we really, how do we really encourage people? So what more do we want them to do? So, you know, they're cycling at the moment more, which is great for their health, great for well-being, great for air quality. But, but yeah, the big question remains there on, how we keep it that way. Uh, elsewhere, um, Transport for Greater Manchester celebrating a decade of achievement with their 10th birthday last week. I look back there at some of their achievements and significant investment in the region, which has benefited massively since the organisation was, was taken from conception to a reality. Acom, McDonald, Arcadis, all have won places on Manchester's transport professional services framework. And Transport for the North is looking for better data on transport related social inclusion, which will make interesting reading. A, a report also cited last week from the campaign for better transport, which which suggested that a lot of people in especially in rural and poorer urban areas are missing out on the chance of public transport for a variety of different reasons, which joins with the new bus strategy that was launched a couple of weeks ago to increase local control over buses, potentially at fares, frequency, that sort of thing. So yeah, so interesting news again this week. Interesting stuff. I think my takeaway from this week, Adrian, is how transport may never be a key to a general election, but it sure is a policy point in local elections with comments from different mayoral candidates from across the country about how they'll deliver and fund transport and the call for free public transport from, you could argue, different ends of the political spectrum 
spectrum. Advisors to the Scottish government wanting to pilot free public transport there, while mayoral candidate in London, Lawrence Fox, saying he'd kickstart the capital's economy by giving free tube and bus travel for six months, arguing people are being paid to stay at home at the moment and the money would better be spent getting them out and about again. You can read all about those stories, plus news of welcome investment in repair and upgrade of traffic signals across England on Highways News this week. And thanks for now, Adrian. But we'll talk later again in the podcast, so don't go away. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. Now, as we get ever more connected, the benefits are apparent everywhere, but so are the risks. Remember a couple of years ago when the NHS came under a cyber attack and many hospitals were unable to use their systems for several hours? Well, a study in America has set out the dangers to the transport network. And while it does focus on things across the pond, the dangers are just as real here. So I caught up with the report author, leading transport consultant Scott Belcher, to learn some lessons. In September of 2020, colleagues and I published a study for the Mineta Transportation Institute at the San Jose State University on transit industries preparedness for cybersecurity. And we learned that the transit industry was not generally very sophisticated in their cybersecurity preparedness or in their maturity. And there were a number of examples that we used throughout the study. Probably the most frightening example um, that was that was publicly shared or that has been publicly shared was one that had to do with uh, the Bay Area Rapid Transit System, or BART, in San Francisco. BART was about to initiate a, an extension, and they had the good fortune of, during the, the construction of that extension, they had hired some uh, cybersecurity professionals from outside of the industry. And those cybersecurity professionals brought some best practices from the industries that they were from, One of those best practices was to go through and validate the hardware prior to initiation. When I say validate, meaning meaning going back to IDs of each of the pieces of equipment and trace them back to the supplier. And luckily here, in this case, these were switches for the subway system at a thousand switches. They were Cisco switches, and Cisco has a wonderful system, cradle-to-grave tracking system. So they went back and they basically just ran, a, ran the logs. And they found that the 1,000 switches had been retired, and they had been retired by a hostile nation, uh, been taken out of service, and ostensibly had been recycled or destroyed. Well, apparently they hadn't been recycled or destroyed. They had been uh, taken from that recycling facility to uh, another hostile country, uh, refurbished, had chips put in them, repackaged, and then sold on the internet to a supplier who bought them for pennies on the dollar, sold them to a very well-known multinational vendor who does work for most of the major transit uh, companies in the United States and most likely in the world. So I suspect in the UK as well. And it turned into and is currently an international criminal investigation. 
that includes uh, the FBI, the CIA, the Department of Defense, the State Department, and I don't, I don't know who else. It implicates at least 20 transit agencies that I'm aware of. And, and that's what I know of just from public information and from the conversations that I had that people were able to tell me publicly. So you can imagine that it's a little bit worse than, than that story lets on. What I think strikes me most about the story you tell is that somebody somewhere along the line thought they were getting a really good deal on these switches, but in fact Absolutely. they were, it seems, completely clueless about the idea that there was any danger in what they were doing. Uh, there was no criminal intent on their part, but very easily they could have been opening up the network or in fact were opening up their network to some very dangerous possibilities. I mean, what, what could have happened? So yes, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what, what happened. At a number of levels, there is criminal liability without criminal intent. You know, the primary vendor who did the construction the subcontractor who purchased the, um, I mean, and, and when they bought the switches, the, the switches were shrink wrapped and came with it with all the right paperwork and everything. And so they had chips in them that were sending signals back to hostile nations. Once you have that capability, you can get into the network. And I'm not a security expert, so I can't trace back, but they had access to the network because of that. You know, the ability to in, impact the operations of those rail cars is certainly one thing that would, would be put at risk. You know, the ability to, to track and trace the operations and impact those. You know, there's a lot of things that could have gone wrong and gone horribly wrong because of this the ability to get into other operational networks or op operational nodes because they had access to the network. So that's the real risk here. And that's, that's the risk that um, the pandemic has highlighted or, or exacerbated. And that is we have opened ourselves up even more so um, than we were before because we now all work from home. We all now work from coffee shops. We all now work from anywhere we can. Quite often, we've done that without really understanding or appreciating the cybersecurity ramifications of that. And because the pandemic happened so quickly, and because we are so cybersecurity unsophisticated, we have not done the proper training and put in the proper protocols to protect our networks. And that's really kind of the big takeaways from all of this is that cybersecurity protections are not necessarily, there's an OT, a hardware component, protecting your network, making sure you have the malware, the, the, the security protocols in place. But there is a human element, and the human element is the piece that gets forgotten. When you take your laptop at home, has your IT person put in the appropriate protocols and protections into your laptop? to make sure that you're not opening your network up by at, when you open up your, your computer at, your home, at the table at home? And do you know what to do when you get a phishing attack? And there are a lot of people who don't. 
most of the major transit breaches that we've seen over the last year have been the result of phishing attacks. That's how they've gotten into the network and they've resulted in 40, 50, 60 million dollar costs as transit agencies have tried to deal with them. Sobering stuff from Scott there, and we'll get more from him in a moment. But let's take a break to remind you that you can subscribe to Highways Voices and make sure you don't miss an episode. Uh, Click on the link in the blurb. Many have already, and we're already in the top 40 business podcasts in the UK, which isn't bad for something that's only a couple of months old. Let's keep it growing and sharing knowledge from experts across the industry, not just here, but from around the world. And don't forget to sign up for our daily newsletter too with all you need to know straight to your inbox every lunchtime it's what makes highways news unique check out the news and subscribe free at highways-news.com now it's time to give a special mention for someone who's done great work in the industry it's time for adrian's accolade and adrian who's your accolade this week i think my accolade this week has to go to the environment and transport team at leicester city council for turning round massively their air quality situation there. So we carried a news story today on Highways News that they've scrapped plans for their clean air zone simply because measures they've introduced since an action plan in 2015 has reduced the air quality, the harmful air quality significantly in the city. So knowing lots of clean air zones that are being planned now by councils and, and ones that are still need to be addressed. Um, it's, a, it's a massive turnaround, something like that. I can't underestimate the amount of work that goes into reducing harmful levels of air quality in any area, let alone a city, and many are still struggling with it. So I think I think um, they've obviously done a very good job at Leicester City Council. So congratulations to Leicester City Council for winning Adrian's Accolade. This week, feel free to nominate someone or an organisation you think need extra recognition. Send us a message on Highways News. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. Highwaysnews.com. Now back to our chat with Scott Belcher about cybersecurity. And next, the leading consultant updated me on the preparedness of the industry to deal with a cyber attack. We did this study. I think most people probably weren't surprised to find out that the transportation industry at large is not very sophisticated when it comes to cybersecurity. But two months later, we had SolarWinds. And SolarWinds said, yeah, well, nobody's really very sophisticated about this stuff. So you may have talked about transit. And Scott, you may say transit is one part of transportation, but transportation is generally falls into the same category. SolarWinds tells us that everything is kind of falls into that category. We have some very serious issues as it relates to cybersecurity. I mean, we keep learning more and more about SolarWinds and then we've had, we've learned more and more about what's happened with the Microsoft um, breach as well that have shown us that we've just, we've got some, some serious problems in this world and in in this country, in, in the United States, the new administration uh, appears to be taking this seriously and putting people in place who do see this as a serious issue. And so um, we expect to see some, some very real changes. 
What have you found as far as uh, transportation, not just transit agencies are concerned when it comes to their cybersecurity policies? Is it widespread that they're taking it seriously or have you found that some haven't got any policies whatsoever? In our study, we found that 60% of transit agencies do, do not have a cybersecurity policy, which is pretty stunning. More than 50% of agencies that we talked to did not have log maintenance schedules. A log maintenance plan is what do you do with your records, electronic records? How long do you keep them for? For important records, you should keep them for at least a year, but you should have a, you should have a schedule because not every set of records is as important as others. But if you don't keep those records when you are breached, and somebody tries to hold you hostage, you can't go back and find out when they attacked you. And it's only by knowing when they attacked you can you recreate and start over. So we found that 14% of transit agencies in the United States that we, and we, we surveyed over 30% of the transit agencies in the United States. So we had a really good respondent pool. 14% didn't keep logs at all. So if they got breached, they couldn't recreate their record set and they had no idea on how to respond. That is horrifying. Our study really has made a difference. The good news is, at least for me, having been in this business for a while and those folks who know me know that I'm certainly not an academic. I'm the furthest thing from an academic and I'm also not a politician. I'm really about trying to move the needle. And the good news is that this study really did help to move the needle. What we've seen in the, in the states is we know that the FTA is moving towards including this in their triennial audits, cybersecurity, which is great. Even though we don't know what it is they're going to audit against, at least they're going to audit. We also know that there's a program for the largest of the uh, transit programs, and they have their own audit program that they're going to make mandatory, which is great. We got a grant to help develop an open source kind of assessment tool for small to mid-sized transit organizations so that they can assess their risk profile and figure out what are our greatest risks and how do we prioritize those against our other risks and how do we protect ourselves? So that's important. So often in the history of, of transport, uh, when you think especially of safety or security, so uh, airport safety is usually in reaction to some sort of tragedy, often on rail and on the roads, you know, things are put in because of one or a series of tragedies. And we look at it and we say, all right, we will learn from that. We can tell here that there are things that steps we can take to avoid having to learn from a tragedy or a disaster based on a cyber security breach before we actually have that disaster we should be taking it seriously now so what's your recommendation because obviously you've been talking about stuff in the US but but cyber is a global thing and especially the cyber attacks usually are from overseas so what is your recommendation to any local or national authority when it comes to 
ensuring as best cybersecurity as they can implement? First of all, I think there needs to be a set of cybersecurity policies and standards in place. And it's interesting, having worked in government for over 30 years, or worked in and around government, it's very rare that you find an issue in which the regulated industry wants the government to step in and tell them what to do. This is one of those examples. The transit industry wants to be told what to do and how to do it. Regulatory agencies at the national or local level should put policies and standards and guidance in place. That's the most important thing that can happen. And they should fund the operators and the the associations that serve the operators to give them the resources to do the assessments that are necessary. I mean, the most important thing that, a, that an operator can do that doesn't cost a whole lot is to do an assessment of their, of their maturity and their vulnerability. It's only by knowing where your vulnerabilities are that you can prioritize them and you can, you can make informed decisions. Transit agencies are underfunded. Because they are a public good, they do not have enough money to serve the needs of their customers. It's the definition of, of a transit agency. So they do not have enough money to do all the things that they need to do just to do their basic services. You start from that premise. They have to make hard decisions every day about funding and capital planning. And cybersecurity is no different from any other security decision that they have to make. But if you don't know about it, and you're not aware of it, and you're not aware of the risk that you're at, you can't make an informed decision. And that informed decision changes every couple of months. And so without an ability to make that assessment and then compare it against your other risks, your other capital obligations, you're not fulfilling your fiduciary obligations. If I have any recommendation for a transit agency, it is to take the time and spend the little money that it takes to do that assessment and understand where their vulnerabilities are. Because there are a lot of things that you can do to mitigate your risk that don't cost a lot of money. Training, putting uh, clauses in your, in your contracts to transfer liability to your contractors, having risk mitigation plans in place, having crisis plans in place, making sure that cybersecurity and security issues are understood and are issues that are managed throughout the organization. This is not an IT issue. This is an issue that starts at with the CEO and goes all the way to the receptionist. And any organization that thinks that this is the person who is running the IT shops issue, they are woefully wrong and they are in for real trouble. So sobering stuff and some wise words of advice from our Highways Voice this week, the American consultant Scott Belcher. That's it for this week's Highways Voices. We'll be back with more thought and opinion next week. But for now, from Adrian and me, thanks for listening. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. 